This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It was shocking that they would go from trying to figure out who has to do what to implementing, this is for the, for the Americans watching, Canada's version of martial law for some parking infractions. Our media is all fake PR press releases at this point, trying to promulgate this fiction and sell it to people. Like, use your eyes, show you the pictures and the videos. Mm. And luckily you were there and you witnessed it in, uh, in real time. And I'm glad you were. Like I said, I mean, I just didn't anticipate just how incredible it would be. And I'm glad that I was there, you know, right place at the right time, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it, and it just so happened that I live blocks away from where it all went down. So, um, okay. So, so when you were, when you were, yeah. you were living blocks away, I was yeah. sleeping in downtown yeah. Ottawa in the Sheridan hotel. You were sleeping in downtown Ottawa. Mm -hmm. in the Sheridan Hotel. The first night is when everybody was coming in, the first mm -hmm. couple of days. Mm -hmm. So you would hear honking, you know, during the day. There was some honking at night closer to Parliament building, the Parliament buildings. Uh, and then it trailed off. By the time that the night that I broke my ankle, yeah. I was in the middle of the street in front of the Arc Hotel, mm -hmm. uh, like in complete silence, in, a, in the middle of a road that was completely empty, full of ice, no honking, no people, no nothing. Is mm. that kind of the experience that you had? Yeah, the first weekend, I honestly, there was a lot of honking and I live in the Byward Market. So um, uh, the trucks were also parked on my street and on Rideau Street. And uh, so that first weekend, uh, you know, I, I even just remember returning home after the press conference at the Swiss Hotel, there was a lot of honking uh, going on. Uh, but uh, but then it that that really lasted for like four or five days, maybe no more than that, and then it stopped. Uh, the rest of the time, I couldn't hear anything. The only time you heard honking was when you went to the heart of the protest, right in front of Parliament Hill, and you and had these speeches. big yeah, exactly. And that's when you know they would just to get people, uh, you know, motivated and inspired. You you the, the trucks would honk a bit, but again, it would last for. A couple of minutes and then stop uh and certainly it didn't it didn't go all the way into the night now people who live in center town i i know people who live right in kent street um a good friend of mine who um uh, i i don't think you've met him but uh but you know he lives right on he and his wife live right in kent, on kent street and uh in fact he wrote this uh, incredible piece uh on um 
this was before even my story came out. Uh, he just walked around Ottawa uh, a night with the untouchables. I don't know if you've read that. It, uh, it's a blog a blog post that went viral uh, shortly, you know, that the first few days of the protest. It's an incredible read. And he just went there with an open mind. Um, uh, uh, the pieces by uh, my friend David Mabry, you should, you should really read it. it was you can one send of the, it to me, please. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. post and it in the show notes. Yeah, and I urge everybody listening uh, to the podcast to actually read the piece. Um, and uh, and he just, you know, what he did was what I did, which is just walk around and speak to people. Spoke, he spoke to some of the truckers. And uh, this was uh, quite the opposite of what the mainstream media had been reporting. So, uh, and, and as far as the noise is concerned, I mean, he's told me many, many times, look, I live right here. I mean, I see the trucks, I saw the trucks parked right outside my building. And it was nothing like what these people are describing. Um, uh, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, people like that, uh, w- you know, we the mainstream media just wasn't interested in reaching out to someone like that. Right. And that was unfortunate. But, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, obviously, the first weekend, there was a lot of honking. I lived in Mumbai for almost 10 years. <laughs> it sounded like Mumbai, right? Yes. I, I literally tweeted that. Um, uh, um, you know, that first weekend. And I said, this really does remind me of my time in that city because every day was like this, like outside my street. It was like this all the time, all the time. So my tolerance for this kind of thing is pretty high. And for me, it actually like made me feel at home in a sense, you know, I was like, wow. And you know what? It it just goes to show, and this is my, why I get so angry with people on, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's unique to any political side. Mm Mm-hmm. But how spoiled people are in this country mm. that, oh, my God, somebody's honked for a couple of days. You know what? Grow up because yeah. there are people <laughs> who live in very difficult societies where like you live in Mexico City. Yeah. There's honking everywhere. And you say something to the wrong person. If they're a narco, you're dead or kidnapped. <laughs> so, you know, we're really kind of bourgeoisie. It's these luxury beliefs that yeah. I can sit here and bitch and complain yeah. about honking and you know what if they don't do what i want i'm going to use the legal system to destroy the lives of these people who many of them have already had their their lives destroyed yeah yeah no uh, yeah for sure and uh ottawa especially i think is a very spoiled city um and uh obnoxiously spoiled yeah yeah and everybody has the sense of you know like they're they know what they're doing. They're pretentious. Most people here are pretentious, I would say. But uh, but anyway, I don't want to. Uh, I know you don't want to disparage Ottawa. Where you live, you got to go get a coffee somewhere, right? I love Ottawa. Uh, but um, but listen, I mean, you said that, uh, and I remember during that first press conference, I remember you saying, you know, let's, um, you know, I, I I'm open to having a coffee with Jerry Butts. Uh, you've been saying that from the get go. What if what if the prime minister actually walked among the people walked uh uh you know with went had visited the protesters and spoke to them uh would it have made a difference how how, and let's say he did that and then said look i feel that these pandemic measures are extremely important i think they're uh helping us um in the fight against uh, COVID-19 so they're going to stay here but I've heard you and maybe we can uh chalk out a plan and work things out over the course of the next few weeks um what would the outcome have been if that had happened I mean it's a hypothetical obviously 
I don't know. And there's there's so many hypotheticals in there. I mean, we're making the assumption that uh, the prime minister could do that on his own accord without just coming out and calling people names, because that's what he does. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I know if, uh, you know, from, and from years of life and business negotiation and getting like when I was on a university campus, I wasn't exactly surrounded by conservatives. But many of them were my friends. I did business with them frequently. I understand their worldview. I disagree, but I know how to communicate to them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that him coming out and being, I don't know, a leader and mm-hmm. doing what politicians are supposed to do and talk to people probably would have been a good start, right? It probably would have helped with a lot of the the division that we have in the country right now. And that's the problem. They're all entitled. It's they don't understand. They are public servants. They're the servants, not the other way around. And if there was a little bit of humility amongst the political class, which is what that would require, which is why I could, I don't know that, I don't know, you you hope that it would happen, but he only does that amongst people he knows apparently. But if there was a little bit of humility to come out and say, you know, these, the measures are very important. This is why, but we can put together a plan and a timeline and whatever. I know a lot of people would say, yeah, don't trust them or whatever. Like, okay, but you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's what negotiation is. Everybody's got to compromise, right? Mm -hmm. So of course they didn't come and talk and like, we had no roadmap. We had nothing. Everything was just going to get increasingly totalitarianism, totalitarian, And there was no end in sight, like, you know, a little thing in psychology that you see that's playing out today in in urban planning. I saw this all the time. This when these studies were coming up, when you're driving in your car, you're coming up to a light that's green. It's going to be turning red. What is what is very common in cities around the world? They have counters and it shows, you know, 20 seconds left, 18 seconds, whatever. The reason they do that is that reduces anxiety amongst drivers because they can better anticipate uh, when they have to prepare, right? That's all we wanted, some sort of anticipation of, okay, you've done this for two years, you've destroyed Alberta's economy, hey, when, when's this going to stop, right? How about giving us a timeline? How about, how about talking to us, doing something? But they're so incompetent that they're dangerous because they didn't even have the skill set required to engage in a conversation with people who may disagree with them. That's why I tried, I tried, like I genuinely tried to communicate, come for coffee, not to be adversarial, just come. We'll protect you from anybody who gets upset. Just come talk to us. That's what the country needs right now. It needs right and left and progressive and conservative or liberal, however, whatever labels you want to smack on to people, which I don't particularly like these labels, but we need to start to come together and talk. We've just been through two years of decimating our economy and destroying people's lives. Some of us need some help, and some of us who live in Ottawa can actually help them if you listen to them. But the fact that they didn't even have the humility to listen made things so much worse, and I think that's why Justin Trudeau's reputation around the world is uh, permanently damaged beyond repair. Yeah, I mean, obviously one of, one of the uh, hypocrisies here uh, from the prime minister is that uh, there was a similar kind of protest that took place in India uh, a, 
a year earlier and uh, and he in fact i mean he did something that was incredibly incredibly uh, it it backfired because the indian government didn't take uh, uh, take that um uh, uh, you know didn't didn't like that very much and he, he was basically telling the prime minister of india to dialogue with the protesters and that it was important in a democracy the right to protest and the protests were actually very similar to the uh, to the convoy protests because you had farmers it was the farmers who were protesting against a very controversial agricultural bill and they brought in like tractors and trucks to the nation's capital and blocked highways and roads and um and and uh, and Justin Trudeau uh, weighed in and said that it was important for the Indian government to speak to talk to the protesters and have a conversation with them but yet he didn't do that here where is that kind of so, sort of what you were i mean was that idealistic uh, not, uh, you know, to expect the uh, Trudeau to actually engage with uh, the protesters here in Ottawa, given how you know, given what we know about him, that he says one thing in one context and does something else that was that's totally different. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I didn't imagine necessarily that he would come out and lead the conversation and reaching out to us. But, you know, mm -hmm. there's a communication structure in all political parties. Yeah. You know how it works. I know how it works, you know, behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, I was talking to people within the Liberal Party mm. who were fed up with him through a conduit. There was 30 plus Liberal MPs that were trying to form a coalition uh, to uh, put forward a non-confidence vote. This yeah. was the, the week leading up to when the, the police came in. I just I always wonder, is that why uh, he went, you know, DEFCON 5 Super Saiyan on all the protesters because his own uh, cabinet was turning on him and wanted an end to this and wanted to go back to being liberal. And we're very worried about, you know, what the damage for Canada would be over the long term. I don't know the answer, but there's always these mechanisms and there's multiple people involved in communications in the political structure that could have reached out to us. If he was a leader, if he had any strength, it would have started with him. I know my, if I was in his position, I would have just walked out of the office and say, okay, let's talk. That's it. That's because that's kind of, that's my tactic. I'm very guerrilla. But okay, if he doesn't have the strength to do that, there's enough of a team around him to do it. So uh, I would have hoped that there would have been something, something mm -hmm. from the government in the, you know, just remember, this is the same guy that during Black Lives Matter went out and and, and bent, yeah. he, he kneeled down in front of Black Lives Matter like a slave. So for them, it was okay. But you have some middle class and working class people protested, which is unprecedented. The only other time I've seen that uh, was in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. uh, when I lived in Colombia during the years that Chavez was doing exactly to Venezuela what, what uh, Trudeau is doing to Canada right now. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just, it was, it's such a, such a shift from the behavior, the behavioral approach they took to, you know, their own base uh, toward toward uh, as opposed to us, you know, mm, mm. and um, also, you know, he came out since then for China. 
And what does China has? China has people honking in their cars <laughs> to mimic the trucks in Canada. Yeah. Yet yeah. he seems to support honking all of a sudden. Like, okay, it's just <laughs> it's wild. It's absolutely wild. Yeah, um, you know, one of the one of the uh, fault lines that uh, that emerged uh, during the public uh, inquiry into the Emergencies Act uh, was whether to m- make a deal with the authorities um, and leave town. Um, or just uh, stick it out until the mandates were lifted. I, I recall in my conversations with you um, that uh, you were very much of the view that uh, uh, you know warmer weather was approaching, so you so you ought to stay. Uh, and my sense is also that many devoted supporters of the protests were unhappy at the prospect of leaving while the federal vaccine mandates were still in place. Um, but in re- retrospect, given how uh, uh, brutally the government suppressed the protest do you think that was the right thinking would it have made sense to make a deal and avert the use of emergency emergency powers which is in fact what ended up happening um well so a couple of things we've mm-hmm. seen a little bit of uh revisionist history by a small group of people trying to say that oh you know there was people communicating a deal. Yeah, there's people linked to Doug Ford's office trying to do a deal on the side, had nothing to do with us, which was the whole point of my testimony, right? Um, Nobody wanted to leave. Uh, The truckers were there. You know how many truckers said, I'm not leaving. They can take me out, my dead body out of here. I'm not leaving till I get my freedom back. And truckers are strong people. Uh, That's why, you know, it was was so um, concerned with making sure the messaging is positive because- these are people who do not take, you know, to, to take well to authoritarianism that's illegitimate. They really don't. Mm. Uh, so they weren't going to leave. They weren't going to leave. Uh, I think the idea to stay longer, although it was, I mean, it's sort of heartbreaking. I met with uh, Candace Cerro last week, the woman who was trampled, the woman of the walker was trampled by the horses, mm-hmm. who, by the way, had her bank accounts frozen. Mm. You know that? What did she do? She was under a horse, yet she had her bank accounts frozen. That's insane. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the whole decision, was it better to mm-hmm. stay or leave? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was better to stay because look what the government has done to themselves. They're now completely ag- illegitimate uh, on the world stage. You know, and I explain in my book, this book, Honking for Freedom, that on the 18th of February, when we decided to leave, it was because the police got violent the night before and drew guns on somebody and smashed his windows in on his truck and pulled him out and arrested him. And the road captains came in to me the next morning. Uh, Tamara was in jail. Uh, Chris was in jail because both of them were on the street. They were picked up. Uh, They're trying to pick up leadership. I couldn't go out because I was in a wheelchair. So I was kind of stuck in my hotel. And uh, so because they knew me and Tamara were talking many, many times frequently throughout the entire protest. I guess it was just a natural, okay, well, let's go see Ben and talk to him, tell him what's happening. And when they told me that the uh, truckers are, uh, that this, what happened to the trucker and the police are getting violent, I said, okay, well, listen, I'll do what you want. Like, I'll support you. You want to leave? Then I'll I'll put out a messaging that we got to leave. But, and one of them, you know, I think it was Miranda said, uh, do you think we should leave? And everybody started talking. They said, yeah, we should. And this Bridget was the first one who said, yeah, it's time to leave. And then Joe said the same thing. And Miranda and all, these are all the road captains. They're all on my bed and on the chairs and by the window. And I said, okay, so if we're going to leave, I'll put out uh, a message, call your liaison officers for those who have them, 
reach out to the uh, the truckers, tell them and whatever. And that's when Miranda interrupted me and she said, you know, but Ben, Ben, many of these truckers aren't going to want to leave. And I told her, well, you're a leader. That's why you need to persuade them and convince them that we've won, uh, that they're getting violent. They've destroyed their reputation. We've done our job. The provincial mandates have all but gone. I think uh, BC was the only one left that mm -hmm. was going to be removing the mask mandates. Uh, we've won on a multitude of uh, ba political battlefields. The only one we haven't won is on the federal level, yeah. but let's give it time and maybe we will. Um, so that's when they decided, okay, let's all leave. And everybody started to scramble to try to get out of there and yeah. get as many trucks on the road and everybody to safety as possible. And that's when the, the police just doubled down and seemed to rush in to try to uh, mass arrest as many people as possible. It is what yeah. it is. But yeah, people, I, we exposed what they we exposed their mindset yeah. and how they see themselves as the authoritarians that they are, uh, that they think we are their slaves, that we will do what we're told, and that's not a very popular political approach mm -hmm. in the Western world. So I think uh, I think it, it was both good and bad. Yeah, no, I, I remember this. Uh, it was actually kind of funny uh, when all of this was happening. I think it was you and you, you were saying, well, so we, we managed to get slowly to resign. We've uh, kicked Aaron O'Toole out of the conservative. Um, uh, he's, he's no longer leader of the conservative party. Diane um, Deans was thrown off the police services board. Yes. Yeah, and, bunch of them, yeah. yeah, and you, I think you were like, who's next? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And uh, but but that's the thing, right? I mean, you guys did have uh, an impact. Um, unfortunately, not on the federal vaccine mandate, but you at least got people talking about it. I think that was very very important. Um, uh, there were some polls that came out during the protests, which were kind of like you know, I think I think it's important to have these conversations about these mandates. You know, have they done more harm than good? And uh, at least you got people talking. Uh, but there's no question in my mind that the protests actually, um, uh, you know. No government uh, is going to, um, you know, you know, give you credit for it. Um, and, you know, but, and one more yeah. asterisk, too. Yeah. What I think made it even worse for them on their side mm -hmm. is people connected to the Liberal Party. We know exactly how they are connected to the Liberal Party. Launched this class, class action lawfare harassment suit against us, which has not yet been certified, which is now up to $450 million. So what do you want? You want us to come and hang out and, oh, here's a $400 million lawsuit. Okay, well, now we're going to stay, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you wanted us to leave? Now we're definitely not leaving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. every stupid decision they could make, they made. Every possible one. Right. Yeah, well... Um... Uh, speaking of stupid decisions, uh, <laughs> uh, the pandemic restrictions uh, suggest lockdowns and uh, vaccine ma mandates. Do you think that these are um, uh, uh, this crazy stuff is finally behind us? Uh, because we now know what's been happening in China. I'm already like seeing tweets from the usual suspects saying that because of the high case count in China, uh, we should do something. Um, and obviously common sense tells us, you know, it was because of their zero COVID policy. Uh, so no one has immunity, but, um, but you know, I, I get the sense that our fear-mongering experts would like some mandates to be brought back. What's your sense of this? Do you think the Canadian public um, is now so fed up with restrictions that it would be political suicide for any government to reintroduce them? 
I think this is, and this may be an odd way of looking at it. I think this is when you're going to see the power and the importance of what Elon Musk has just done. Because you know as well as I do, the political class and the media class were obsessed with deferring their decisions and seeing how the sentiments of the political of the the general public utilizing Twitter. That's what's that's what's dictating so much of our media mm -hmm. and our um, our public discourse right now. And one of the things Elon has done already in the short time that he's been there, he's been purging. So many of the bots, and maybe because I have a little bit of a, a knowledge of programming and background, like I can see the bots when they were popping up. That's why when, you know, they were attacking Tamara's account or my account, I could tell because there's unique identifiers from a burner and bot account. And I think the fact that he's quashed a large part of that uh, on the Twitter platform and will continue to do so. Yes, there's only 300 million people on Twitter, but the people who are there matter because they're connected to media and politics and they're not going to have the same leverage and power that they had leading into these lockdowns. That's why you're seeing so many people came back on. And now there's, there's actually pushback against yeah. that sort of narrative on that platform that didn't exist in the past. And something else I remember many years ago that stuck in the back of my head, apparently everything you tweet on Twitter gets saved in the Library of Congress in the United States. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure the relevancy, why that deal was made, but there is some political significance to that platform that is hugely significant. So the fact that we're all able now to push back and say no, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult um, to infuse narrative poisoning amongst mm -hmm. people to say that these are all the numbers, and if you talk about it, then you're a racist and a bigot and a white supremacist and do as we say uh, or else sort of thing. I think that period has gone in terms of our digital communication structure. So it's mm. going to be very difficult for the political class to sell this again, especially now that there's people like I have friends who are liberals who are not supportive of the convoy, didn't talk to me during that period, not liberal party people, but just more liberal minded people. Mm -hmm. And you know what they're doing now? They're reading this book and they're reading all <laughs> the positive stories in this book that it's not all negative. It's all, all of us coming together. Right. And it's helping to wake people up to realize, you know what? Yeah, maybe this whole, maybe, there, maybe I think people who are against the COVID vaccine are crazy, but you know what? That's their business. They can, you do you, I do me. Mm -hmm. And if we do that, we'll get along better uh, in the future. And I think I think that's what's going to change things. I think the political class and the media class just took a major swipe in the amount of influence they have by having that platform being taken away from them. Yeah. Well, uh, let's turn to the public um, uh, uh, hearings uh inquiry into the emergencies act um what do you think you learned from the hearings you you were uh, you testified um and uh and i i also think happened to think that trudeau performed extremely well uh, on the last day of the hearings um and um you know he was obviously well rehearsed and well briefed um but what did you think ultimately and if you were a betting man uh, what do you think justice rulo is likely to decide I think, you know, from my perspective, mm -hmm. Justin, Justice Rouleau was the first person to preside over a commission under this legislation. Okay. And I think that's why he was granting a lot of leeway. 
Um, in my case, I had to submit a late application for standing because I wasn't told by certain people about the whole process. And that late application was denied. And boy, it would have been much worse. If I had my lawyer able to cross-examine people, mm. it would have been a lot different because I wasn't I wasn't towing any political party narrative there, which is why my people are attacking me because my perspective was what I experienced and the truth. Okay, fine. But other than the fact that Justice Rouleau denied my late application for standing, and he, he wouldn't know, uh, and there were 20 uh, groups with standing and supposedly only one of the 20 was not representing the government, although that's disputed because some were the government Saskatchewan and whatever. Hmm. Um, I think the first thing is I see from people on the conservative side that, well, Justice Rouleau uh, was a liberal. He donated to the liberals, was appointed by the liberals. And I said my response to that is, yes, but all points in, in life are nuanced. Things aren't so binary. He was appointed by Paul Martin. And I know from my communications during the convoy, there is a, a significant uh, amount of friction between the Trudeau liberals and the, the Paul Martin, Chrétien type liberals. They don't like each other at all, especially with what's gone on. So and the second thing is Justice Rouleau is, I believe, he's on the, the Court of Appeals. So he's, in, he's highly regarded. He's at the tail end of his career. Mm. And he has a commission named after him. So this is going to be his legacy. So to those, those of us in the analog world, okay, it's no big deal. But if you're in the legal world, this is as prestigious as they come. And I don't think that Justice Rouleau is going to uh, sacrifice his legacy just to protect uh, a political party that that's only current now. There will be a time where we're beyond Justin Trudeau and we will all laugh at him. Mm. I don't think he's going to stake his reputation on it. I think that's also why he granted uh, leeway. I think he was very fair. He allowed me to get my um, uh, my counsel, Jim uh, Karahelios, to uh, lead some questions. We found a little loophole. Thank God to Jim's attention to detail. Found a little loophole that I could get a few minutes of leading questions from my counsel. And Justice Rouleau, you know, to his credit, he said, well, yeah, that's the rule. I'm not going to be the bad guy here. I'm going to let people talk as much as I think is is necessary. Yeah. Now, what's the outcome of the report going to be? I think it's going to be what we all see in Canadian government throughout our history. It's going to be truckers bad, government bad. Uh, don't do it again. Here's recommendations to the legislation. And we move on. I think, you know, people are saying, well, is there going to be any negative repercussions to the government in Ju and Justin Trudeau? And I think there might be one scenario where that happens. If Justice Rouleau comes forward and puts in his report that Justin Trudeau went well beyond um, what was legally, like he didn't meet the test mm -hmm. for the Emergency Measures Act. And the CBC is forced to report that, that Justin Trudeau uh, took this authoritarian, they won't use that word, but yeah. you know, if they have to paint Justin Trudeau in a negative light, I think you're going to see the NDP bounce. And mm -hmm. I think you're going to see the NDP see, you see, he says he's a real progressive. He's not a real progressive. He broke the law. He did what his father did, you know, because a lot of people on the left that would, did not support Pierre Trudeau with the FLQ. 
they'll say, he's not a real progressive, come back to the NDP, let's build a real progressive party. And I think that will be the end of Trudeau's career. Interesting, interesting analysis. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've heard rumors that the protesters might return to Ottawa in the new year. Uh, and, uh, you know, I suspect the authorities will be better prepared this time. Um, and uh, do you think that, um, you know, given that many of these restrictions have, have mostly gone at this point, does it make sense to return to Ottawa and risk another confrontation with the authorities? Um, haven't, haven't some of these, haven't, haven't these goals already been accomplished in a sense? Well, that's my argument. What are you processing? You, you mm -hmm. don't like Trudeau? Okay, well, you're going to have an election probably in the spring anyways. Okay. And uh, so, I mean, I called, I thought there would be an election before the end of the year. I put on my Substack, bjdictor.substack.com, by the way. Um, so, okay, maybe I'm off by a season, but I think we're going to have an election in the spring. Mm. The problem, one of the problems we had, one of the many problems we had in Ottawa, and there was constant problems. Like when you mentioned that piece, I'm yeah. still catching up on YouTube videos covering the convoy. I did not have a spare second mm -hmm. to my life during this. Uh, there was no shortage of egos there. And there was no shortage of people who just wanted to be famous or people who wanted uh, access to millions of dollars. That was it was not ours. It's for the convoy and all the convoy's expenses and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing. And you're seeing part of that is, you know, people want to uh, people want to relive the experience, I think, is what is another big thing that this was a momentous occasion in Canadian history. I often call it uh, Canada's Woodstock, um, Woodstock event. And you're just not going to relive it. Uh, the best way to relive it is read about it. Yeah. Well, and share it. Share it with your friends who are liberal. Yeah, and get them to open their minds, you know? No, yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, before I forget, Justin Trudeau's half-brother, Kyle Kemper, I don't know if you know him. I spoke uh, to him yesterday. Oh, okay. So he calls it the free he calls it the freezing man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's um he's a... he told me something yesterday that I can't share that I'll share with you uh, off uh, camera. <laughs> you'll find it very funny. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um anyway, so um the, que the big question is, uh, I mean, uh, so, I mean, you obviously are not going to stay involved with these protests that are potentially happening in the new year. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, but at a more personal level, do you pl plan on staying involved with the larger movement of freedom and pushing for freedom? I mean, yeah. I, th I think obviously, yes, to a point. We... Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, like I was told when I was I was told to leave the hotel room that somebody needs to be able to speak up for freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm very well known in the Bitcoin community as well. Um, not just I mean, primarily because of the Freedom Convoy, but I've been involved with it for for many, many years. So um, in terms of the first thing in, in with regards to what's happening in the new year, what I would what I would encourage people to do is. If you're in a rural town, a rural community, and you want to commemorate the Freedom Convoy, I think the best message is to celebrate what Trudeau did on Valentine's Day. That Valentine's Day becomes the, the day of love and the day of revival of Canada. The day that Justin Trudeau went full authoritarian, froze our bank accounts without due process, and we stuck together and we focused on love 
and we're still supporting each other and we're still trying to put that movement forward because that will become the identity for Canada. What better way? Imagine you're, a, you're I don't know, 19, 18 years old and you live in a Capiscasing or a smaller city or Aurelia and you have a town fair and you're going to go out with a date and you're going to go out somewhere to for Valentine's Day. Let's go to the the Freedom Convoy commemorative event where there's a bunch of trucks and barbecues and people dancing and hanging around together. That's what we need to be doing across Canada. We need to be getting together in our communities and celebrating loving each other on Valentine's Day. And we stuck together and we loved each other throughout um, the convoy, despite what the government did on February 14th. In terms of myself, uh, I mean, I, unfortunately, I have no choice. We have this class action suit that has not been yet been certified. There's a lot of legal games going on behind the scenes with many different entities. And I can't walk away from that. I wish I could. Listen, if that was gone and I could just get in my truck and just continue on my life, great. I would gladly do that. But unfortunately, they're forcing me into, into a position where I have to keep you know, opening up, opening up my big mouth because they, they're not stopping. They're, they're continuing to try to oppress us, utilizing the legal system. So mm. because of that, I'm not going anywhere. And okay. the next step was to release this book, honkingforfreedom.com. And what I do like about it is, I know we're going to talk about it before we go, but you know when jo Jordan Peterson wrote the endorsement for the back of the book, and he refers to it by, he says, quote, uh, the by then he says, uh, the, I'll read it for you. It says, the Canadian trucker protest in Ottawa attracted tremendous national and international attention and was simultaneously demonized by the then Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. And I think that's a very important thing to remember. And I mentioned that to Jordan when we were talking. I said, I want this to be an archive for the future, for when people want to know what happened during this period, mm. that they'll get as factual a story as possible here. And uh, I love when he said, the then Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And that's a sign of hope that we're going to get beyond uh, the blackface era of Canadian politics. Well, on that uh, hopeful note, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, and, and, you know, with uh, Jordan Peterson as our ending, I would uh, I'd like to thank you for um, coming on my show, uh, Ben, and it's been a real pleasure. Um, I'm um, so glad I uh, was invited to that uh, first press conference um, because that really uh, helped me see uh, the protests um, you know, for what, you know, what, what it ended up being. And uh, so our, you know, I'm so glad that we were able to do this. It was long overdue and I hope we can have you back. I have about another 50 questions or so to ask you, but, but, you know, I, we're running out of time and I need to run a few errands before this big storm descends on us in a, in a couple of hours. The third snowmageddon of the year, the first two <laughs> I was in the truck, yeah. nothing that happened and uh, we'll see what happens this time. And I yeah. just want to say, you know, Rupa, uh, we are, all of us in the, the convoy, we are in your debt because uh, you and the others who came, Andrew Lawton was there for that press conference, as well as a couple of people from Epoch Times, Post Millennial, whatever. But, you know, you went out of your way to go to bat for the truth. I don't think you were going to bat for us. You're going to bat for the truth. And, you know, you penned that article to throw, put out in the National Post to show people, no, this is what's actually happening. And that was also a major contribution for us that 
thank God, this my idea of I need to get somebody in the legacy media who's honest. And boy, did you come through for us. And I thank you so much for that. Oh, no, it was, um, I, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, I had to do this. I had to speak the truth. You know, I didn't have a narrative that I was trying to promote. Uh, uh, and like so many, unfortunately, and like so many people out there, um, the, the only thing I was seeking was the truth. And I saw and I wrote what I saw. And I, I was happy to do that uh, at a, uh, for Barry Wise's common sense. Well, it was common set that sense at that point. It's now the free press. Uh, and yeah, it was just uh, extraordinary. Like I said, it was an incredible moment in my life. It's really changed my life and it has changed many people's lives. And uh, thank you for bringing that message of hope, love and peace and unity to the nation's capital. And uh, and I really hope we start on that note going into 2023. And I want to wish you a happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, that I'll uh, we'll, we'll see each other soon. You as well. And I, I, I tell people many times on my daily streams, uh, me and Professor Stephen Hicks talked about it a couple of weeks, a couple of uh, years ago when we started, mm. that I think we're going to be heading into this um, this era, the Enlightenment 2.0. Mm. Uh, I really do think we're going there. This has been some of the bumps in the road. But before you have massive positive change in society, yeah, uh, things got to get really bad. And I think they have. And I think there might be still some bumps in the road for the next mm. couple of years. But I think at the end of the I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Things are going to get so much better. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, take care, Ben. And I will see you soon.